0: Well, good morning. Did y'all like that 55 degree temperature this morning when you got up? Wow, wasn't that good? Hey, go ahead and open your Bibles if you would to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm glad that you're here to worship the Lord and uh, hear from Him. And we are in a summer series called Last Days. And today is actually the the last message in that series. Uh, This title, The Last Days, is... There's kind of a double meaning in that title, because not only did Paul write about the last days, he was also in his last days. Paul was a prisoner in Rome. He was facing certain death. If you've been in this series with us, you know that by now. Uh, He was facing certain death, and near the end of his life, Paul looked back at how he had lived his life, and he had no regrets. This is how he expressed it, beginning of verse 6. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now, that's what you want to do, isn't it? Regardless of how young or how old you are, you want to look back at how you lived your life and what you did with your life and have no regrets. I mean, we all want our lives to count. We want to change the world. We want to make a difference. We want to be loved and respected by our families and by our peers. We want to get to the end of our lives and have good memories of a well-lived life. Maybe that's your confession of faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But maybe for some of you that's not quite yet your confession of faith. Perhaps we need to be more like the people of East Asia that I read about this week, some missionaries uh, were going to a a totally unengaged people group in East Asia. Can't tell you where they were going because of security, but they were going to a totally unengaged people group. No church had ever been planted in this area for this people group. The missionaries had already been there, taken pictures of the area, took some pictures of the people. They came back, they were showing their family and friends where they were moving, and they were going to go there for three years and invest their lives in that community and in those people. And everybody was looking through the pictures, but everybody was struck by one picture in particular. It was a picture of a casket outside of a house. And they said, they went on to explain that when individuals in this particular people group turn 65, they each build their own casket, and it just sits outside their house. Waiting to be used. Now, if you're 65 or older, just saying, you might want to get the measuring tape out and start thinking about how, what yours is going to look like. But it wouldn't give you a different perspective, wouldn't it? If there was a casket against your house at the end of your driveway when you pulled in after work every day, it'd give you a whole new perspective on life. <laughs> I wouldn't come home. <laughs> yeah. You know what? The Apostle Paul understood that his time was short. He understood that there was a casket waiting for him. He was on trial in Rome. It was clear to him that he was not getting out of prison this time. Paul knew that his days were numbered. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-8, through He gives us some powerful words about loving Christ and serving Christ to the end of our days. Now, I'm not going to give you a fancy outline today. I'm just going to walk through these three verses with you. And look at what Paul says and how he got to that place in his life where at the end of his life, he could look back with no regrets. So let's look at verse 6. In verse 6, Paul spoke about the present. When he said, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Now, a drink offering was an offering of wine that was poured out around the base of the altar where a sacrifice was being offered. You poured it out at the altar as a sign that all of it was dedicated to God. Get that picture in your mind. When you poured out a drink offering, you did not pour out part of it. You did not pour out some of it. You didn't give some of the offering to the Lord. But when you had a a drink offering, you poured all of it out to God. The idea was, I'm giving everything. I'm not holding anything back. I'm surrendering everything to God. Now, Paul views his approaching death as this pouring out of his life for Christ. It's a beautiful picture when you think about it. Paul was saying, I want you to know something. I know my days are numbered. I know there's a, there's a casket at the end of my driveway. But, but I want you to understand something. I'm voluntarily doing this. I am pouring out my life for Christ. In other words, he wanted Timothy to know, and ultimately all of us to know, Caesar is not going to kill me. I am offering my life as a sacrifice for Jesus Christ. I am prepared to lay down my life. Now, about five years before Paul wrote these words, in Second Timothy, or I'm sorry, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul uses this same word picture about pouring out our life, a, a drink offering. He uses that same phrase, a drink offering. And he uses it within the context of the possibility of one day dying. But here in this text, he uses that same word, this drink offering, but now it's no longer a possibility, now it's a reality. In fact it is such a reality it has already begun. Look what I mean look what I mean in verse 6 he says for I am what's that next word I am what I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The process has already begun. Could I ask you that in your present situation are you living a poured out life? Are you holding anything back? You see, the goal is not to give God the best that we have on Sundays. It's to give God our very best every day to the end of our days. Still speaking about the present, Paul goes on to say, the time has come for my departure. The word departure in the Greek language is a very picturesque and powerful word Several different meanings. I'm going to focus on two of them. Uh, This word sometimes would be translated this way. It sometimes could be used to mean hoisting the anchor and setting sail. Paul looked at death as the opportunity to hoist the anchor, to leave the coast of this world, and to set sail for eternity. He says, look at it in verse 6, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Departure. The time has come for me to raise anchor and to set sail for a different country, a different coast. The, the word also means to take down a tent. In 2 Corinthians 5.1, he refers to the earthly tent that we live in, describing our bodies as the, this earthly tent that we live in. And the word departure means to take up the stakes from the tent and to move on to the eternal house that God has in store for us. Now, I've got to tell you that in, <clears throat> one of the good things about preaching in different services is that you get to see different people. And, and in the first service on the fourth pew, about where Brad and Donna are sitting, except just a little to the right of, of Donna, there was an elderly gentleman who sat there. He was a guest today. I'd never met him before. He was a guest, and he was here to watch a baptism that we did in the first service. And I'm telling you what, it, this man was a blessing to me. I preach better in the first service because of this man. Because this man, throughout when I was talking about all of this, throughout the whole message, an elderly gentleman, he kept sitting there, smile on his face. I could see that far. I could see the fourth view. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> smile on his face. He kept shaking his head. He had this deep voice. And he wouldn't do it really loud, but he'd shake his head and he'd go, Amen. 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 And every once in a while, he'd raise his hand up. Amen. He wasn't trying to put on a show. Most people didn't even notice probably what he was saying. But i am tell you what, I noticed it. Because when I said, it's time to pull up the stakes and move to a different land, that hand went up, smile on his face. Amen. It was a testimony like Paul was giving. It was a testimony that, where Paul says, I'm getting close to this time of departure. It's about time To pull up anchor and go to a different coast, the coast of eternity. I'm pulling up the stakes in my tent. It's about time to move to a different area and go to my eternal home in heaven. I love these two word pictures because they show us that a believer never really dies. He or she just departs. You don't really die when you're a Christian. Oh, your body may die, but you don't really die. You just depart. And we all have a departure date circled on God's calendar. We all have a limited time on this planet. You see, there's a casket at the end of your driveway. Maybe not physically, but there really is a casket waiting on you. So how do we make the most of the time that we have? Paul tells us in the next verse, we go to verse 7. In verse 6, he talked about the present. In verse 7, he talked about the past. I have finished, or I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. After talking about his death, Paul looks back over his life and the 30 years he had spent as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And here's what he, he concluded. He said, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Did you notice when I read that, and I've read it for you twice now, did you notice there were three I have statements? If you're a follower of Jesus, these are the three things you want to be able to say at the end of your life. This is what you want your kids to say about you. At the end of your life, you want your kids to say, My daddy was a man who fought the good fight. My daddy was a man who ran a good race. My daddy was a man who kept the faith. This is what you want your grandkids to say about you. My meemaw was a lady who fought the good fight. She was a lady who ran a good race. She was a lady who kept the faith. This is what you want your pastor to say about you at your funeral. You want somebody to stand and say, this person loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all of his heart, with all of her heart. And they fought the good fight, and they ran a good race, and they finished the race. I kept the faith. Paul outlines for us how we do that. He said, first of all, I have fought the good fight. What was he talking about? Who or what are we fighting? We are fighting the devil, the temptations that he offers, and the weaknesses that we struggle with. That's the fight that you'll have your entire life as a believer in Jesus Christ. You'll fight the devil, the temptations that he offers, and the weaknesses that we struggle with. Now, I need to get you guys involved here, so I'm going to ask you to help me because my my friend is gone, so I need your help in preaching this sermon. Alright? Would you agree that there are real benefits to being a Christian? I mean, absolute real benefits. The benefits are some of these. These are not all of them. These are some of them. The benefits are... A personal relationship with the Creator of everything. A personal relationship with God. My sins forgiven forever. Being a part of God's forever family of faith. And having a home in heaven. I would conclude there are real benefits to being a Christian. But if you are a Christian, somewhere along the way, you also need to understand it will be hard. You're going to have to, somewhere along the way, perhaps give up something. Or maybe even someone. Somewhere along the way, it's going to cost you something. And listen, it will be a fight as you wrestle with obeying God. See, good intentions aren't enough. Sometimes you have to fight the good fight of the faith to stay true to the Lord. Sometimes you have to fight to obey the Lord. But let me ask you a question. Would you say, isn't He worth it? When we say, Jesus is my Savior, here's what we're saying. He did something for me. But when we say, Jesus is my Lord, here's what we're saying. I'm going to do something for Him. And sometimes that something is so hard that we have to fight the desires of the flesh and fight the enemy of our souls. See, listen, 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 listen. It's fun when we obey and the blessings of obedience come quickly. Right? It's fun. It's exciting when we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you on Sunday morning. And by Sunday night, he's already come through. Those, those, it's fun. We write those in our journal. We tell our friends about those times. It's fun when the blessings of obedience come quickly. But this is not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about in here is that I'm going to obey Jesus, and I'm going to obey God's Word, and it might be the hardest thing I ever do, but I'm going to be able to lay down at night and put my head on the pillow and know that I am fighting the good fight. And It is an ongoing struggle. But I am fighting the good fight. See, salvation is free, it costs you nothing. But living out your salvation may cost you dearly. Paul said it right here for all of us. I have fought the good fight. Those are not just poetic words. That's his testimony. This is how he lived his life. One of the secrets to the the kind of life that Paul lived was his willingness to fight for it. And then the second path that he says is this. I have finished the race. Paul had plenty of reasons to quit, as you probably well know. But he finished his long race victoriously. In other words, he said, I, I, I gave it all, all the way to the finish line. I kept running, I kept trusting God, I kept serving God, I never gave up. And though the race was hard, I kept going. I never stopped. And let me give you a word of warning right here. That's the one thing Satan wants for your life more than any other. He wants you to stop. He wants you to stop believing. He wants you to stop trusting. He wants you to stop obeying. He wants you to stop going. He wants you to stop doing. Satan wants you to stop. And Paul says, I didn't stop. I finished the race. I don't know if you've ever run track. I have not. And I'll say that now uh, because some of you have run track. And I'm not speaking out of expertise. I'm speaking from observation. Uh, my son has run track from seventh grade all the way through his now junior year in college. And his special race, the one that I guess he does the best in, is the 400 meter hurdles. Now, if you've ever run track, uh, uh, then you know that there's probably lots of races where you run and you want to quit. I think perhaps this is just personal opinion and it might be somewhat colored Through my eyes or through my glasses, because it's my son that runs this race, but I think the 400 meter hurdles is one of the hardest races to run. I know Andy used to do hurdles. He probably would concur that 400 meter hurdles is a very, very difficult race to run because it's a 400 meter sprint. I believe, I may be wrong, I believe it's the longest sprint. Other races are longer, but they're not a sprint. The 400 meter hurdle is a When the gun goes off, you're running as hard as you can from start to finish for 400 meters. And oh, by the way, as you're running the 400 meters wide open, you've got to jump hurdles 10 times. It's an exhausting race. It it lasts less than a minute, but it's an exhausting race. And by observing my son and talking to him, I, I, I know for a fact that somewhere in the race, just about in every race, somewhere in the race, your body begins to tell you to quit. Your body begins to tell you it's not worth it. Your body begins to tell you you can't go on. But the one thing that enables you to keep going, the one thing that enables you to keep going is this. You know that there's a finish line ahead. That's the only thing that keeps you going. There's a finish line ahead. That's a good principle for all of us to keep in mind because out there somewhere, there is the ultimate finish line for all of us. Hebrews 9.27 says, man is destined to die, and after that, to face judgment. I have an appointment with death. I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how, but it is recorded in God's book in heaven, and that's one appointment that I won't miss or be late for. that's one appointment that I can't change, nor can you. See, when this life is over, and you stand before God, I want you to listen to me, and if you've... If if the neighbor has fallen asleep beside you, you might want to wake him up and say, you're going to need this one. When this life is over and you stand before God, it will not make any difference how many people knew your name. It will not make any difference how far you advanced in your job or how much money you accumulated. The only thing that will matter is this, what you did with Jesus and what you did for Jesus. It's the only thing that's going to matter. And at the end of your life, you want to be able to say this, You want to be able to say, I have finished the race. I gave it my all, all the way to the finish line. Here's the third path that Paul talked about. He says, and I've kept the faith. You know what he meant by that? Paul meant I didn't walk away when I I could have. I didn't walk away. I, I kept believing the gospel. I kept preaching the gospel. I didn't walk away from God. I guarded the truth of God's Word and I spoke the truth of God's Word and I held on to the truth of God's Word. I kept believing as an old man, I I still believe what I believed as a young man. I kept the faith. And when I said that today on that fourth pew, that my dear friend there on the fourth pew, he said, Amen. Amen. And the reason I I, I bring him up is because I wonder if you could do that. Honestly. Honestly. I wonder if you could sit there and say, you know what? I have kept the faith. I still believe now what I believed then. I'm still teaching now what I taught then. I'm still sharing now what I shared then. I've kept the faith. Every so often, I run into people who don't. Every so often, as a pastor, I run into people who used to go to church, but they stopped. They used to serve the Lord, but they stopped. They used to believe in God, but they stopped. When their marriage ended, they gave up on God. When when they lost their job, they lost their faith. When the pastor let them down, they never went back to church. When their loved one died, something in them died. Paul gave these words to encourage Timothy and us, that no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how difficult the fight seems, keep on fighting. No matter how long the race seems, keep on running. No matter how hard it is to stay true to God's Word, keep guarding and holding on to the truth. Because one day when our lives come to an end and we'll stand before Jesus, we will realize it was worth it. One day when our lives come to an end and we stand before Jesus, we will say, so glad I held on. I'm so glad I kept believing. I'm so glad I kept fighting and kept running. I'm so glad. See, when you get to the end of your life, you're going to have one of two responses. You will either have the sigh of relief or the sigh of regret. And if you have the side of regret, it will be too late to change anything. Then we move in verse 8 where Paul spoke about the future. As Paul faced his own mortality, as he looked at what was going to be on the other side of death, this is what he said about the future, verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Here's what Paul wanted Timothy to understand and you and I to understand. Living for the Lord Jesus will not be easy, but it will be worth it at the end. And here's the reason, listen to this. God rewards obedience. Paul looked beyond the pain of the moment and the suffering of this life and by faith he sees even beyond his own beheading and he sees another day. He refers to it in verse 8 as that day. Look at the text in verse 8. Here's what he says in verse 8. The the righteous judge will award to me on that day. Now, Now please take note of that. Paul was able to endure this day because he was looking beyond this day to that day. That day gave him the hope and the faith that he needed this day. This day, he's facing a beheading. This day, he is close to the end. This day, there is a casket at the end of his driveway. But he kept looking beyond this day to that day. And what's going to happen on that day? Well, he tells us in the text, it's quite amazing... He says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. I tried to figure out, what is this crown of righteousness? I've read about it, but what what is this crown of righteousness? And here's what I discovered. Gordon Fee helped me with this more than any. He said, one receives the final crown of righteousness precisely because one has already received the righteousness of Christ. When Nero was about to declare Paul guilty and condemn him, Christ, the righteous judge, on that day, would declare him righteous. Uh, maybe this is a silly illustration, but maybe it will help somebody. If you ever go to, to Sonic, and you get one of their milkshakes, and they put that, that whipped cream on top, and then on top of the whipped cream, what do they put? Yeah, I hate those things. Uh, just, just leave it off. But, but this is the cherry on top, you know, it just kind of tops it off. In some ways, you could refer to this crown of righteousness as the cherry on top, because here's what I mean. In this life, when you put your faith in Christ, you receive, the Bible says, by faith, the righteousness of Christ. And when you enter into eternity, Paul says there's coming a day, he calls it that day. On that day, watch this, you receive the crown. Of righteousness. You'll get the cherry on top. In this life you receive by faith the crown of righteousness. In that life, on that day, you receive what has been promised. Here on this life you've been trusting in that by faith. But when you get to eternity, faith is no longer needed. Because you are crowned with righteousness. He say, Pastor, that's wonderful, that's, but my name's not Paul, nor is mine. But note the last part of verse 8. This, must, this probably is the most hopeful part. He says, and not only to me, that is, you don't have to be a, an apostle, you don't have to be called Paul, uh, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. One of the biggest words in Scripture is that three letter word, all. Because there's room in that word for you. This is what is ahead for you and me if we faithfully serve Jesus Christ, if we have trusted Him as Savior. Paul says this, and not only to me, but also to all. Everybody say all with me. And to all who have longed for His appearing, all who have longed for for His appearing. Have you ever noticed, church, have you ever noticed that those who don't know Christ as Savior are fearful of His appearing? Have you ever noticed that those who don't know Christ as Savior, they they don't want Christ to come back? But when you know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior, you have nothing to fear. You long for His appearing. And Paul says, listen, I want you to understand something. The Lord Jesus Himself will reward us on that day So here's the reason we live for God. Not because it's easy, but because it's worth it. Keep on fighting. Keep on running. Keep on believing. There's a finish line out there somewhere. There's a casket at the end of your driveway. And it's closer. That time is closer than any of us realize. Paul was ready, he said, to depart. My question is, are you, are you, are you, are you? Would you join me as I pray? I want to ask you a question or two. Every head bowed. Are you ready to depart? Because I promise you, you're going to. That day is coming. There is a casket at the end of your driveway. Are you ready to depart? If you're not, today would be a wonderful day for you to say, Yes, Lord Jesus, I understand that I'm a sinner and I need you to be my Savior. Some of you, as you look back over your life... As you look back at the past, you don't see a life of faithfulness in your past. You see a life of failure. And as you look at your present, there's no confidence in the present because there's a life of confusion. In your present situation, your life is a mess. In your present situation, nothing seems to be working. Everything seems to be falling apart. And when you look at your past and you look at your present and then you look at your future, you've got no reason to believe anything's going to be better, but rather you have fear. You try to push it down, you try to push it back, you try not to think about it, but ultimately you know that if your last day comes, you've got nothing but fear. The future doesn't look very good for you. here's, I think, what you really want. When that day comes, and they gather in a church like this one, for your funeral, you want your kids to be able to say, Daddy was a godly man. Maybe late in life, he came to faith in Christ. But there was a day that Dad trusted Christ, and since that day till the end of his days, he fought the good fight. He ran a good race and he kept the faith. This is what you want your wife or your husband to say. This is what you want your family to say. And today, all of that can be a reality. But you have to first start by trusting Christ as your Savior. See, there has to be a starting point. Every race has a starting point. There has to be a starting point. There has to be a time when you declare faith in Christ before you can fight the good fight of faith. There has to be a starting point before the finish line. And Today I'm asking you, Sir, would you like to give your life to Jesus Christ? Ma'am, would you like your sins forgiven? Would you like to have an eternal relationship with God? And the failures of the past can be in the past under His blood. You can receive his mercy and his forgiveness and his grace if you by faith believe that Christ died on the cross for you. Are you ready to depart? If not, now's the time for you to get ready. In just a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand and start singing. And when we do, I want to ask you to, when we stand, you step out and you come and say, Pastor, I need to give my heart to Christ. I need to surrender to Him. Or Christian, maybe you need to lead the way because right now, you're not living a poured out life. You're giving God some of you, but not all of you. You're not living a poured out life. And you need to come get on the altar and repent. And maybe you'll lead the way for somebody else. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank You for Your mercy and for Your grace. Thank You that when we get to the end of our life, because of Jesus, We can face the end with confidence. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.